It's the criterion. It's the criterion. 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 In. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very spooky episode of the Criterion Project. I am Conrado Falco, and I am joined here, as always, by the great Rachel Wagner. Rachel, how are you doing? Hi, everyone. Doing great. Yeah, it is um, April, or yeah, it will be April when we are releasing this. And um, it's far from Halloween, but we're feeling in a horror mood, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had a pretty good year last year for horror. And uh, so it seemed appropriate to uh, to talk about. We just got a new Scream movie. So why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are nearing the end of our fourth season of Criterion Project. So we every now and then we like to do some special episodes, uh, you know, not just talk about one movie in Criterion Channel, but do some lists and stuff that I know is very popular with our audience. So yeah. <laughs> we like to do that every now and then. <laughs> um, and this also coincides with something I've been talking about in the last few podcasts, which is the release of the movie Cram, which is a movie that I'm in. A horror movie directed and produced by former guests of the show and dear friends of ours who are here today with us to talk about horror movies. Um, I will introduce, first of all, you will remember him from our uh, Citizen Kane slash Mank episode. It's a uh, director of Cram, A.B. Seidel. A.B., how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Conrado. Thanks, Rachel, for having me on. Yeah, very excited to talk about horror movies. And also we have, you'll remember him from the Boyhood episode. It's a producer of Cram, Trevor Wallace. Hey, everyone. Thanks, guys. Yeah, welcome. And welcome back, we should say. And thank Thank you you. um, for being on the show. Um, So um, let's talk a little bit about Cram, first of all. Um, Because, yeah, it's it's no secret that part of why we're making this episode is also to tell people about this movie. So... Um, why don't you give us your your pitch? Sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having us on to talk about Cram. Obviously, Conrado, you're in the movie. Um, but uh, the movie was, is um, a featurette. It's a 45-minute horror film about uh, academia. Um, we like to call it a dark fairy tale. It's about this student who is struggling to finish a final paper uh, in the library the night before it's due and he falls asleep and wakes up to discover his paper is gone. And that's just the beginning of the story. It gets way worse from there. Um, and mm-hmm. it's really the sort of existential, uh, you know, nightmare. The, the, the movie really emerged out of this question we found ourselves asking, which was, you know, good students, bad students alike. Why are we all so afraid of school? Um, why do we mm. all have the same nightmares? Uh, and that was mm. the origin of cram. And then it was made during the pandemic, as you well know, Conrado. And, yep. um, it's a real labor of love. You know, you said I'm the writer and director and Trevor is the producer, but it's a small indie film. We wore a lot of hats. Trevor and I co-edited the movie together. We both did the visual effects. Um, Rado, you, I, you know, you gave us thoughts during the editing process as well. Um, so, yeah, and it came out uh, just under two weeks ago um, on demand and streaming. You can watch it for free on Tubi uh, or rent it or buy it on Amazon Prime, Google Play. Um, and you know, we've been thrilled to see critics and audiences respond really well to it. Um, it's been a, an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Response has been very positive. Um, even our own Rachel Wagner gave it a positive view. She's not a <laughs> horror person. Um, obviously maybe the fact that you're friends with all of us, uh, played a role <laughs> into it, but, um, Rachel, what did you think of the movie or like, what are your impressions of it? Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed it. And I, I just would have 
not reviewed it if I didn't enjoy it. So, you know, I, right. I, I, I th- tried to be as objective as possible, uh, in my review, but, um, but, but yeah, I, I've been trying to kind of, uh, push me, uh, my, uh, push out of my comfort zone as far as horror in the last year. I, mm-hmm. I watched, um, I watched Barbarian. I watched the screen movie last year. I watched, um, uh the menu which i really enjoyed um and uh, there's some other ones uh kind of go off the top of my head but but i i tried to kind of i'm trying to push myself uh as a critic uh to mm-hmm. you know watch some horror and i watched the first uh the original nightmare on elm street last year so mm-hmm. that that was pretty fun and uh and i realized that for me as far as like horror what scares me is is stuff that feels real, like that might actually happen. If it's something like, like a dream or sci-fi or fantasy or like, it's not that scary to me. Like I, I, so I can have kind of more fun with it. So mm-hmm. um, like if it's, if it's like murdery or rapey or that, that I don't like, mm-hmm. but, um, but something that's sort of more of a fantasy, I enjoy more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was kind of right up my alley as far as like going to some, some fantasy fantasy realms and i thought you did a particularly good job at the beginning with uh when they're going down the aisles of the library and you get those bright bright colors Mm -hmm. and uh, it really created it really created uh, a nice atmosphere Mm -hmm. uh, that Mm -hmm. built the tension well i think thank you so much um and shout out to our cinematographer felix hanta who i think you know did an extraordinary job on a budget we obviously we're able to film in a pretty special location. Um, but that sequence you're talking about where we kind of went a little expressionistic with the, with the lighting, with the color was really fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah, glad you responded to it. You mentioned Rachel feeling like you connect with a horror movie when you feel like it's something that could happen in a way. Did Cram uh, evoke any old school nightmares for you or any old memories, stress dreams? <laughs> <laughs> that's a no. good question. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. No, like, it's weird because like what scares me, I don't enjoy as much as what mm-hmm, mm-hmm. doesn't scare me. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like what's kind of fantasy and crazy and not real. Like mm-hmm. I enjoy that more than what's like, mm-hmm. what feels scary to me. Um, <laughs> I like a movie that I, I think is really scary that I didn't enjoy, even though I think it did a good job is a movie called the gift. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. ever seen that. But that movie was very, very scary to me. The way that he was, and I would give it a good review, even though I didn't enjoy it, because mm-hmm. uh, it did a good job what I was trying to do. But, uh, but I don't know if that makes any sense. That like something that feels like really murdery, I don't enjoy those. But uh, something that feels a little bit escapism and fantasy, I enjoy that more. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, um, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, like aliens or you know that that kind of uh escapism is fun i think Mm -hmm. i think it speaks to something i'm curious to talk to y'all about as we get into horror which is despite being a genre that on its face says i'm going to scare you and give you this like unpleasant Mm -hmm. experience it's also one of the most fun genres i think you Mm -hmm. can have such experimentation and such play and such like you say rachel fantasy and creative imagery and creative ideas and I found mm. that very interesting as I made a yeah. list of like how much fun I have with this yeah. genre that's supposed to scare me. 
let's mm-hmm. let's go into that then um because we have a lot of movies to talk about so let's go how do we define a horror movie and what was our approach to making our lists um trevor maybe you should start since you brought sure. up the subject to begin with i think um y'all we were talking off mic before this started about the most common problem is like is this a horror or is this a thriller because mm, I yeah. think thriller is a genre that also creates tension within the audience and aims to like provoke that resp- similar kind of response. So that was my first thought was like, okay, there's some movies that are tense and freak me out, but I wouldn't say they're horror. And so I started to wonder. Then I got into more some of my older favorites and some of them are not even really scary. They're more just using b- bodies and blood and, and violence as a, as a, idea more than actually meant to scare me there are some horror comedies that are really great which is a whole new angle so i think that was my first wall i hit was is is a horror comedy a comedy or is it a horror movie is a thriller a horror movie wondered if Mm -hmm. you guys ran into genre blocks as well did you land on anything on one way or another or are you kind of right into the thing that kind of came out was like it's a horror movie if it scared me i think that's what i went for in my picks was like there are many horror movies that I like that are definitely horror movies, but I picked ones that actually freaked me out for one reason or another, because yeah. I think that was the core experience between all of them. Did just you distinguish the- between a movie that like left you feeling afraid after it was over or just a movie that scared you like at some point during the movie? I think it can be both, which is the exciting bit of like some of them are scary years later because I'm still thinking about it. And some of them were like, I'm closing my eyes uh-huh. and you know can barely look at the screen. That sounds Seems like... A- like- Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Rachel. It seems like most people, there's a gore element to horror that doesn't add, that's not in thriller. Seems to be mm. the biggest differentiation. Is that to... the, yeah, is that the big differentiation for you, Rachel, and how you approach the list? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, yeah. Uh, although I don't know, I I I'm sure a lot of people would call all three of mine thrillers, but I think they're they're uh, they have whole, they count as horrors as well. So I don't know. Maybe it's the scare scary element that makes them i i'm not sure but it's a it's a very nebulous category uh how about you av what how did you go about it yeah you know i think trevor's kind of ultimate point that the easiest way to define a horror movie is it's a movie that scares you i think really speaks to me and i think that because horror is so broad a genre and contains within it like rachel was getting at earlier like there's horror sci-fi there's horror fantasy there's horror action there's horror comedy uh, every other genre can fit within the horror genre. And so I think the only thing that unifies them really is is that feeling of fear. And, you know, I've been on the Cram Press Tour, and one of the things I've been talking about is my the horror movies I end up responding to the most are those that feel like they're keys to a door inside myself. They give me the ability to see maybe a part of myself that I'm afraid to look at. Uh, a horror movie, you know, part of the, part of what fear is, I think, is it's something that is recognizable in us. That's why it stays with us after the movie is over because it's not just in the movie. It's also in us. And I think a horror movie that makes me aware of that darkness inside myself uh, and forces me to confront it. Those are the movies I end up loving the most. So I think Mm -hmm. throughout my list, the movies I'm thinking about are the ones that uh, point me towards my own inner darkness. Okay. What do you, what do you think it is about horror that is, makes it such an effective mirror to that, to that point of, making you look at a part of yourself it's a really great question because i feel like it's the easiest answer in the world it's you cannot make a horror movie without thinking about what you find scary because the only metric you have 
is, okay, well, I'm going to make this horror movie and I want to scare the audience. How do I know what scary is? I know what scares me. Mm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when that's the only measure you have, you're going to be, I think that it's why like a cheap, maybe bad horror movie always feels to me like it has some honesty in it, even, uh, even when it's not very good. Um, At the very least, I like know what that filmmaker is afraid of. And I find that enticing. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, before we get into the movies, I will throw out what I the the closest I could come to a, a objective sort of like definition of the between thriller and horror, which already leaves a bunch of you know holes in it. But my sense was that for a horror, it doesn't have to be necessarily supernatural, but I I want to feel something grander happen. You know, like something that the horror and the terror is overwhelming or like beyond just something that can be repaired easily for example movie like megan which came out earlier this year which i loved just because you can turn off the computer you know the robot it doesn't feel horror to me because it's just like a problem that that it's kind of like has solution whereas the horror movies that i think of as horror are problems that cannot be solved you know there's like something bigger at play like for example in the movie cram that we were just talking about how this library just feels beyond the pale of what you could comprehend or what you could uh, fix now that then the biggest plot hole there is slasher movies right because a lot of the time there's just one killer or something although you know Mm -hmm. the fact that michael myers comes back and never seems to like never be able to kill him could play a role in that right he starts representing something bigger than himself um that's true the biggest plot hole that I have is the scream movies. I don't know how to fix fit them into it because they because by my definition they feel more like thriller than horror. But I do think they're probably horror. So or maybe not. Maybe they're more thrillers in my mind. So, well, and they're paying homage to horror so much that that yeah. I think it, that's probably part of the reason. But yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, I feel like with Scream in particular, there's something to the very conscious way Wes Craven is making those movies about how the horror audience invites horror into their experience. They're saying like, you want the murders to happen. You want it to be bloody and dark and scary. And Mm so I think that's the horror of those movies. It's not necessarily the like killer. It's, you know, it's not like, Mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a flexible enough definition to allow for, you know, (laughs) for to justification Mm -hmm. of, 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 movies that are on the fence all right so um what order let's just go in the order that i see you on my screen so let's start with rachel wagner's first pick out of three for the her favorite horror movies rachel take us away well it'll be interesting to see how much pushback i got on this one but you all know i'm a huge animation fan and i picked for my third pick i picked Coraline. i love Coraline. (laughs) And yeah, I, audience. I love uh, everything about it. I love Coraline as a character. I think the fact that she she still chooses her parents in the end, even though they're kind of terrible, um, I, I think says something about her and her character, that she doesn't fall for the button eyes uh, and it being so uh, perfect in a lot of ways. I think it's legitimately terrifying. I mm-hmm. I mean especially for kids I think it's really scary the button eyes and uh, I I just absolutely love the animation and uh, I I think it's what it, it's one of my favorite anime films uh, probably be in my top 25 yeah, yeah. that's a great it. pick 
that's a that's yeah. a really good pick. I think if yeah. if for an animated movie, if I had to pick the scariest animated movie I've seen, Coraline would probably like. I remember seeing it in the theater. That part where the which the ghosts of the other kids that the oh, that yeah. the witch had the other mother has taken <laughs> that was so scary. I was like, "There's children in this audience. What's going on?" Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, if I saw it when I was a kid, I would. I would definitely be terrified. Oh yeah, indisputably a horror movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the Pete. button eyes and the, um, and uh, just uh, the when when the everything seems so perfect, and then when it switches, it becomes mm-hmm. really scary. I think the the dual world is a very enticing concept for kids. Uh-huh. You know, Harry Potter, Narnia, it's exciting. But it's also a good horror concept. And I think Coraline beautifully rides the line between it being exciting because it's, you discovered a room in your house that has a magical world. What kid doesn't want that? But it has a lot of dark things. And to, to A.B. and Conrado's points, I think, actually makes you confront some stuff um, and actually puts the kid in a place where... They don't just have to escape because the other world is just a dark version of their own world. So even if they get out of the, even if Coraline gets out of the button eye universe, the things she learned about herself and her family and life are still horrors that exist in her day-to-day life. And it's about growing up and learning how to handle the adult world, to your point, Rachel. And I think that's why it's so exciting for this character to go on this journey, because she really has to confront some stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's, I think it's satisfying to have a character who chooses to love flawed people uh, and I, th- I think that's powerful with her and her, her mm-hmm. character oh, and that she is such an excellent flawed point. too definitely yeah. I think that choice is so crucial Rachel because I feel like what in some ways is kind of bleak about Coraline but also so nuanced and interesting is you know she's this girl with like two parents who are not the most attentive to her and she flees to this fantasy where she has the most attentive mother imaginable and of course that is like vicious and essentially because that woman wants to eat her. Um, and I think it, the movie does an amazing job of saying like what Coraline needs and wants is not like an overly attentive parent, someone who is like going to coddle her and, you know, mold her in her own way. Coraline actually just wants like a friend. And I think the movie does a really amazing job illustrating that. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. And just the, like, said the animation i mean henry Ah. selick is just so underrated as a director and an animator uh i wasn't that crazy with his movie last year uh wendell and wild but Mm -hmm. uh but other than that he's he's just an incredible director and he doesn't get the credit he deserves uh because everyone thinks his movies are by tim burton (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) i mean james and the giant peach scared me yeah, that that, one's that was on my short list for this when I was trying to work in an animated. I was oh, like, really? it's, I don't know that you could call it a horror movie in its totality, but oh my gosh, those Terrifying. sequences get yeah. scary, very scary. Yeah, I mean, Roald Dahl, he knows how to make terrible women. Like, <laughs> <laughs> where there's like the witches, I could put that on oh, this list. The that one is oh. original, which is is very scary. Uh, and uh, the ants and James and Giant Peach. You have the Trunchbull. I mean, I was just like, what did the nuns do to Roald Dahl? Because <laughs> I actually think there's something uniquely powerful to like a horror movie for children. Because I think if you mm-hmm. can pull that off, those are some of the scariest movies. Like The Witches really is so scary yeah. to this day. It's so it disturbing. Is. It really <laughs> is. And I mean, I'd put honestly, I, uh, Pinocchio, the original Pinocchio, I think is 
really scary uh, when when those they start turning into donkeys. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's scary. Um, yeah. All right, we need to get moving a little bit because um, we have a lot of movies to talk about. So, Ab, how what is your first pick? Um, so my first pick is the 1992 film Candyman. Oh um, yeah, and. Um, so I, uh, like Rachel, I was not always the, um, a fan of the horror genre. I think I always loved scary stories, but I was honestly too afraid of them to, mm-hmm. to really dive in. And I took a class in college called Sex, Gender, and Politics in the American Horror Film. And we had to watch four horror movies a week. And by the end of that class, not only did I love horror movies, I had become completely desensitized. And now nothing scares me, which has its downsides. <laughs> Um, but the professors would always save what they thought were the scariest movies for our in-class screenings. Mm. And Candyman was one of those. And I was immediately struck by it. It's, it's, it's a sort of like urban Gothic horror movie. You know, it's about this, um, this white academic living in Chicago Mm -hmm. who is studying the effects of, um, urban legends on, uh, you know, on, um, this community called Cabrini Green, which is, um, a housing project uh, in in a in an underfunded neighborhood in Chicago, and she's working on this thesis about how these people like use the Candyman legend to sort of cope with their hardship. Um, and in her sort of academic uh, pursuit, she becomes caught up in this urban legend and realizes that it's very much alive. Um, and I think, you know, on a sort of symbolic level, the movie is an amazing exploration of the sort of voyeurism of academia, which is something we explore in Cram as well. Um, the idea that like the academic perspective can be quite um, horrific. It takes real people, real events and turns them into stories, turns them into things, you know, worthy of study or kind of consumed for someone else's purposes. It's sort of vampiric. Um, mm. And uh, the movie is also just absolutely horrifying. Um, there are all these uh, motifs like there are bees and there is there are paintings and he has this horrific like hook hand um it's you know sometimes a slasher sometimes a sort of dreamlike nightmare on elm street type riff um it's a very, very versatile horror movie and it's incredibly you know sociopolitically potent i think uh in a way that it seems like people sometimes talk about horror as if that's like a new thing but horror has been doing that for a very long time so yeah great movie yeah, definitely a great movie. Um, have Have you seen it, Trevor or Rachel? I've just seen the remake, yeah, uh, the, the recent remake, which mm-hmm. certainly made me excited. I, I should check it out because that one felt like it was engaging those concepts in a sort of legacy way, like reengaging some of those themes in the modern era. So mm-hmm. I really should see where those where they came from and the time period that those ideas originated in. I would really love to see that. Yeah. Fun yeah. fact. There's a Trevor in the movie who dies a pretty grisly death. So, <laughs> oh well, then I have to see it. It's the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I remember not liking the the remake very much in comparison to the original. Ab, do you have thoughts about that? I yeah, um, I you know I think I admire the what the remake was attempting to do. I don't think it was ultimately quite successful. I think that, um, in a way, because. It, the the original just has this sort of messiness to it, this like mm-hmm. sprawling tapestry of this community and this woman. And, you know, the, the remake really focuses on like Candyman as a character, which I think is, is a mistake. I think that character works a lot better um, when he's a sort of legend, an urban legend at the fringes of the story until he takes center stage. 
Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that... foregrounds it. And as In much as way, I, oh, sorry, go I was gonna say, as much as I love the the first movie, I also think it's it's also a bit of a problem text in in the sense that it is a Definitely. you know nineteen ninety two movie talking about race with a white protagonist, and it does go into some places that you wonder like, what is this movie trying to say about this? But I do feel like that somehow makes it a little more interesting and more exciting to think and talk about than the remake, which is a little more neat. It's Definitely, I remember in our class we talked about how like there are justified readings of this movie that. Uh, of as a racist text um right. and i think that that's it's something that does make it interesting because you can tell that sort of everyone involved is thinking about the racial dynamics at play and the you know consequences of urbanization of you know um redlining and at, at the end of the day they also did make a movie centering a white woman mm-hmm. um and her sort of consumption of the black experience so yeah. it's a complicated movie and i think that's part of what i'm attracted to yeah yeah definitely feels like it's coming from the gut of america (laughs) at that time somehow which is cool um all right that brings us to mr trevor wallace with his first pick for favorite horror movie so yeah uh looking at these i guess i'll just kind of go in the order that i saw them and kind of will step up in time to what's been scaring me through the years sounds good um the first one i picked is black swan Oh. Uh, which definitely is on that horror thriller line i'm sure we could discuss but mm-hmm. it genuinely scared me for a couple reasons one it hit me at a perfect time in my life which was i was like i don't know 15 or 16 i was a teenager i had enough independence that i could go see black swan like with my friends without my parents but i was young enough that i was not ready to see all the things in black swan and really process them so this movie sticks in my mind as a horror movie that like I saw a little ahead of when I was ready, and that was an important part in transitioning me into adulthood and pushing me in that direction in a couple ways. Um, I would say this is a movie that features a lot of what you would call body horror as its main horror element. There are mm-hmm. bones breaking and things growing out of the skin and body transformations and a lot of physical touch that is creepy, and so it's a lot of like horror of the body, which... I don't think I related to at the time as a teenage boy, to be honest with you. But what I did relate to was the sexual horror where it's a (laughs) story about a character coming into their sexuality and like actually embracing it for the first time as their own adult person and trying to break away from their parents and embrace other forms of sexuality and be dominating and be dominated. And these were all ideas that were so far from where I was about to experience. Like I was not, I was years and years away from engaging with these things, but that's why I think it was such a great horror movie is because it Mm. threw them in my face in a really exciting uh, way and forced me to kind of figure out what I felt about uh, a scene, which is more horrifying than, than any gore scene where you're finally having you're maybe your first great masturbation session only to realize your mother is sleeping in the chair next to you after your, you know, mid climax. <laughs> Those kind of horror scenes. A glimpse me, like, oh, in nothing. the mind of teenage Trevor. <laughs> yeah. Nothing is scarier <laughs> than, than, you know, thinking you're exposing your raw self and realizing your parents were there. Yeah. So all of that. <laughs> Trevor, it yeah. ask, as a teenager who wasn't super into horror, what, yeah. first of all, like what, why'd you go see the movie? Because it starred a lovely actress named Natalie Portman, who had previously been in the Star Wars prequels and therefore had entrenched herself as the first and truest love of my life in celebrity crush. <laughs> Excellent. Fandom. 
And so, did you honestly, that was it. Yeah, I, it was like sexy Natalie Portman movie, and I was at the age where that was the reason to buy a ticket. And at the time, did you like feel? Did you like what you're describing now of like realizing that that movie sort of opened you up to horror? Did you feel that then? Were you like, oh, there's a whole world out there, or what did you feel? No, I don't think I probably thought I'm seeing a horror movie. I don't I like I probably I probably when watching it realized the body horror was that but I don't even think at that time I knew the phrase body horror and I wasn't I wasn't at the point in my film studies where I had like as many genre terms and ways to categorize the movies mm-hmm. so I think part of why it sticks is to your point ABI I experienced it a little more raw as just mm-hmm. a story that scared the shit out of me you know yeah <laughs> Black Swan is a is a great teenage movie I feel like like it works great I I was also a teenager when I first saw it and it was huge for me and my group of friends we were like black swan you know obsessed we like watched it multiple times in the theater we were really into it um and now I many years later I watched it again a couple of years ago I think and it played like a comedy for me you know as, as an adult but as a teenager it was like intense <laughs> yeah. and it was a serious movie and now I'm like oh this is so funny <laughs> I should revisit it now that I've have completely different relationships to all of those topics and themes. Um, I yeah. really should because it. You're right. It, it it was scary at that moment in time. Is part of why it sticks in my memory. So. Mm-hmm. Rachel, have you seen this one? I have not. I have not seen that one. That would I be should. an interesting. Yeah, that would be an interesting uh, to yeah. see what you think about this one. Um, it's definitely. Uh, it's a little intense, but it's not so gory that you'll be totally turned off. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's cool. a little out there, so you know. I'm always I'm always mm-hmm. interested to see when a movie is kind of like, you know, a little crazy in the pretentiousness scale. Uh, <laughs> what Rachel will think of it. Um, all right, my first pick is also a movie I saw as a teenager around that time that stuck with me and that continues to be definitely in my top three movie going experiences of my whole life. I went to the theater. I didn't know exactly what to expect. And I had the scariest and funnest time of my life, which is the movie Drag Me to Hell, directed by (laughs) Sam Raimi, Um, which, you know, and I love Sam Raimi. I love Evil Dead, all of those. But I I did watch them after Drag Me to Hell. And Drag Me to Hell continues to be something that just feels to me, I don't know, there's something about that movie that is so small scale in a way and so distilled to just this kind of like moral tale about this woman who does the wrong thing once and is just punished for it relentlessly by the spirits that you know that and also about how the company that she works for is the one that pushes her in that way and to to be less you know caring and then that is gonna bring you to hell you know it's just and it's just fun it's just crazy it's fun it has like all these like goofy borderline comedic horror elements but the fact that at the time that I was experiencing something that I thought was so funny and so scary at the same time was really revelatory for me at the time. And and I, yeah, and I love that movie and I had an incredible time watching it. Um, it sounds, because I'm seeing all of you nodding that all of you have seen this. And Rachel, you've seen this movie, right? Yeah, yeah. When we did, uh, we did a ranking, I think, of, was it 2009? That sounds whenever, right. Whenever it came out, we did a, uh, um, we did a ranking of that year one year you and I and so I saw it for that uh podcast and yeah it's it's really fun I enjoyed it yeah, it's, yeah. it's like silly enough that uh it's, it but also has yeah it has the scares yeah <laughs> with poltergeist it's like in the pantheon of great real estate movies <laughs> <laughs> is it is yeah I guess so 
<laughs> sort of centers around like a, a real estate dilemma. Um, yeah. <laughs> when I was talking earlier about um, the, that the horror genre is has the ability to be scary, but also one of the most fun, I think this is the example of that. Mm -hmm. Of like, yes, it's genuinely freaky, but it is having so much fun at every moment, and it wants to invite you into that experience. Like, look at this yeah. wacky eyeball shot. I popped an eyeball out. Or like, yeah. look at this crazy shot where she's upside down and hanging. And it can, I think, at Sam Raimi at his best does this. He he makes it fun to just experience the movie with him because it was fun to make, it seems like. And I think Drag Me to Hell is fascinating because it gives me all of that. And I also am really scared of it. And it like genuinely <laughs> freaked me out. I watched this one as an adult getting ready for cram actually when i was trying to bone up on my horror uh movies mm -hmm. and this one i think really helped me embrace having fun with the genre when we made cram and getting into some more abstract and gross and yeah. creepy stuff i feel it like is. sam Raimi, i'm sorry go ahead no you go ahead because i think we might be onto something similar well i was gonna say i think sam Raimi really has his finger on the pulse of exactly what we've been talking about which is the fact that horror and comedy are in some ways the same thing like our fear response and our laughter response can both emerge out of discomfort can both emerge out of like feeling uh you know like we're like is everyone else also scared or finding this funny you know i think there's something communal about both of those genres in mm. a way that is really distinct yeah and i feel like the fact that something can be scary and funny at the same time, like you said, is revelatory. But I also think that m many horror movies, when people don't like them, they laugh at them. And right. I think that it's so interesting that something that can be scary deeply to somebody else can also be funny to another person. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, I just more and more as I grow older, I admire how Sam Raimi is almost always able to like genuinely tap into something scary even when it's silly. I mean, if we think about like Spider-Man 2, the scene of Doc Ock, you know, waking up. Oh, yeah. Uh, the operating table. Yeah. The operating room scene is horrifying. But there are moments of like just insane over the top stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just always works. Obviously, you know, Evil Dead mm -hmm. is is the beginning of that. But yeah, I don't know. It's amazing. Yeah. What were, what were you going to say about it? Well, I was saying that speaking of comic books, actually, that the movie does have that kind of like classic horror comic book from the 50s vibe. And you can see, I really love the way that he, Spider-Man movies applies this very much as well, that he's not afraid of those like very basic melodramatic setups of those old comic books. He's, you know, because in this movie, it's all about like the old lady that just gets denied the, the insurance claim to her house. And then she's, you know, like there's just something about like going straight for the most obvious emotional thing. And I think that emotional core at the time also really spoke to me because I was used to movies, horror movies that were more like in the slasher, but like, I know what you did last summer or something that like the emotional part of it was kind of detached. Whereas here I could understand the dilemma that this person was in so clearly. And I was, and I was like, you know, and that spoke to me as well. Um, yeah, I wonder if all of us in some ways, I mean, I can't, I don't know about you as much, Conrado, maybe you were more adventurous, but it seems like Rachel, myself, and Trevor, all of us were a little uh, less into the horror genre when we were younger. Mm. Part of that for me, I think, is also I we came up at a time when like torture porn was the sort of flavor du jour of mainstream horror. And yeah. it felt a little creatively dry, certainly, and also mm. disturbing in, in a lot of unpleasant ways. Yeah, And, you know, even as I've come to love the genre, the, those were, have remained the movies I'm, like, least interested in. 
That's think that's true for me as well. Although I was also a scaredy cat as a kid, but I did have a couple cousins who were obsessed with horror movies, so they made me watch like Chucky and things like that that I was like, you know, <laughs> terrified of. Um, all right, let's move on to whose turn is it, Rachel? We're back to you yeah. with your second pick. My second pick is one we've actually covered on this uh, podcast. Uh, it's I think has the best jump scare of any movie i've ever seen and uh, it's called wait until dark mm -hmm. i i think i mean this one is like a little bit murdery but um but it's more tense and uh and it earns that jump scare at the end so well and i watched it the, for the first time when i was in college uh, a movie on the lawn outside my dorm and uh and so to all experience that jump scared all together and I'll be laughing and uh you know kind of was <laughs> super memorable really fun and I think that uh Audrey Hepburn does a really great job it it uh uses like atmosphere and uh, and darkness light uh very mm -hmm. very well very effective uh it's just a really entertaining movie yeah um, for people who don't know, the setup is that uh, Audrey Hepburn plays the blind woman that that gets involved in this like you know job that went wrong, and there's the killers are coming to her house to like you know kill her basically or yeah. get rid of her, and then she has to yeah. like you know fight them off. Uh, it's a very fun movie. We obviously did a whole episode about it, and um, we talked a lot about that iconic jump scare that is a literal jump scare too, which is very fun, <laughs> and um, and also I. I remember a really fun out there Alan Arkin performance. Young Alan Arkin yeah, plays yeah. like the villain and he is, you know, <laughs> he's doing a lot of fun stuff in it. <laughs> yes. I would definitely recommend. Um, definitely also really on the line between thriller and horror, I think, like you promised, yeah. Rachel. I feel yeah. a lot of people might be like, oh, it's not a horror, but, um, you know, it's it's pretty intense. So I think it's scary enough that, I don't know, it feels like a horror to me. Yeah, that's what matters. Let's be established. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So we'll go back to Avi. What do you have for your second pick? All right. I think this will not surprise some of you, but my number two pick is another film from 1992, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, which I think is in the underserved horror romance subgenre. Um, I think that, you know, gothic romance in general is an incredible genre. And there haven't been like, in my opinion, enough great gothic romance movies but bram stoker's dracula um i think i'll excuse anyone who listens to this and then watches cram and just accuses us of ripping that movie off because um it's hard to believe how much of that movie's dna is all over cram and the crazy thing is i had never seen it until after we'd made cram um and i remember when, when i first watched it just a couple years ago now um i was like I, I was, I don't know, a year and a half ago. Yeah, I was blown away because there are shots in that movie that we did to lesser effect because Coppola has uh, a lot more much experience. More money. A lot more, yeah, much <laughs> more money. Um, but there are images in, that, in Cram and in Dracula that are like almost identical in some ways. Um, and I was on this like Drac mm. big oh. Dracula kick. Sorry, what? So, so you think the 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 ripoff accusations would be more about the aesthetic and the and the style than the subject matter, or like I think both. I think there are thematic fixations that are shared as well in the movie. Um, I think that you know, um, Cram is a, is a movie in some ways about the vampirism of academia, and I think what I love so much about Bram Stoker's Dracula is how Dracula is um, depicted as like he, he, a victim of a larger system i mean mm -hmm, i think mm -hmm. um 
I, I went, I was on a bit of a Dracula kick last year. Uh, I'd read this book called the historian, which came out in 2005. It's a novel about this woman's sort of search for the historical Dracula, Vlad Tepes, Vlad Dracula, who was uh, a prince of Wallachia um, uh, in the 1400s. And Bram Stoker's Dracula opens with the fall of Constantinople. It opens with a shot of the Hagia Sophia with, you know, the cross falling off and being replaced by the star and crescent. And it opens with this like blood soaked battle scene uh, where Dracula is, you know, in this unbelievably designed armor um, that Mm -hmm. looks like sinewy muscle, uh, just, you know, slaughtering Ottomans, slaughtering the Muslims. And then he comes home and is celebrated for it. He's celebrated by the church and sanctified. And the whole movie really kind of depicts how he's never not a man of God, but in being a man of God and in being unimaginably cruel, the movie sort of, uh, or the church sanctions his violence and says, mm-hmm. we need this. He is, he is our monster. He's the dragon of the church. Um, yeah. And I think that's so powerful. Uh, and it's also, I have to say like one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Um mm-hmm the costume design the photography the production design um it also you know it's made in 92 but it uses almost exclusively um or or only it uses like optical techniques from films past um it's all made in camera uh it's sort of beggar's belief watching it i could talk ad nauseum about it but yeah great movie (laughs) It's a great movie. It's also very funny that it's called Bram Stoker's Dracula because it's so far from the book. Like it's the least faithful <laughs> adaptation you could imagine. Um, yes, but that's that was mostly, I think, a contractual thing or like a copyright thing. Obviously, like these things. Go. Sure. Um, but but it's a it's a wonderful movie. I agree with everything you said. It's, it's yeah. It's also, great. it has maybe the best credit song of all time. Um, which incredible is song, unbelievable song. It's called "Love Song for a Vampire" by Annie Lennox. Um, and so, you know, if you're a fan of the Return of the King credits song into the West, um, I think she, I think that's her second best. <laughs> I think Love Song for a Vampire is it's an incredible song. It's so good. Uh, Rachel, have you seen this one? Because I feel like this might be something that would potentially be up your alley. Definitely. Definitely up your alley. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. I, I haven't seen that one. I saw the, um, the uh, Coppola one. This is the, the Coppola one. Oh, okay. Okay. Um. Uh, okay, yeah, no, I have seen it then. Yeah, yeah. with Winona yeah. and Keanu and yeah, Brad yeah, Edmund. yeah, yeah. Okay, and Anthony Hopkins, mm-hmm. crazy cast. Keanu is largely derided for his accent work in this movie, um, <laughs> which I'll confess, like, isn't very good. But I actually think it really suits the character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Trevor, have you seen this one? I'm the odd one out. I have not, although oh, wow. has been definitely telling me I should, and I really have been just ignoring him at my own peril because. <laughs> Uh, I think that this will probably make me want to make Cram 2 is what it sounds like. <laughs> like, oh, we could do this even better and grander. It yeah. sounds like a kind of movie that really gives you the excuse to play with the genre like I'm talking about loving in these other movies. Yeah, I'm actually realizing now, talking about it, that Candyman as well is sort of a gothic romance. And I think that this moment in Dracula, you know, where he's you know, rejected God and rejected life and has lived in this like frozen state of decay for uh, 400 years, like damning himself to only experience like the pleasures of the flesh, but never the pleasures of the soul until he like finds his love in some ways, like reincarnated 400 years later or whatever. And it's just, he's just, he loses it. It's just the most romantic thing ever. And I think there's something about how Candyman and Dracula are both these uh, 
horrifying monsters defined by their yearning for love. Um, and that's actually something that I don't think is um, super present on the surface of Cram, but uh, in our monster in that movie, um, I think in the performance, there's this yearning for something uh, that I was always really drawn to. And that Brandon Burton, who plays this character, the master of the books, uh, does a beautiful job bringing to life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well said. Um, all right. That will bring us into Trevor's second pick. So for my second pick, we're going to jump forward into my college years. Um, <laughs> I watched this movie as part of an independent film class my junior year. So we had small group projects and we did a deep dive into, you know, key independent films in the American film landscape. You know, the Coen mm-hmm. Brothers first movie and things, things of that sort. Uh, some Tarantino, you know, tracking that, that arc. And we watched um, a movie uh, called Safe starring Julianne Moore. Oh, yeah. Safe ah, is another one That was where... our first episode of Criterion Project. Oh, was it really? Oh, yeah, when I think I've listened to it because I think I remember when I first met <laughs> Conrado and looked, oh, he has a podcast. I scrolled and I'm like, oh, Safe. I, I didn't know this. It's a movie that doesn't get talked about a lot, at least in my circles. Um, I think it has a strong reputation, but... It's not as splashy as other horror movies. Like, there is technically some blood in it, but there's not really any horror. There's not really any gore. There's yeah. no villain. There's no exactly antagonist or even specific problem that the character's trying to solve. And that's what makes it so scary to me. Because Safe is about the horror of modern life. It's mm. made in the 90s, and it will, like, on the surface feel like a period piece. Like, oh, this feels a little dated. But I think the core anxieties and horrors that she's experiencing Mm -hmm. um, are just as relevant now because the movie gets into the abstract and it allows it to be about moments where you're sitting and you're existing in the world and you just have the realization that all of this maybe is wrong and maybe everything we do with our lives is wrong and maybe I don't know what I even want or who I am within this world and these are big ideas, but it doesn't get abstract. It doesn't go to, to Dracula in where it's using abstract imagery and fantasy. It uses mundane imagery and the horrors of just sitting in a room in a party you don't want to be in and your whole brain mm-hmm. just falling apart. And I think it really comes through with Julianne Moore's performance. It's my favorite of her performances mm-hmm. I've ever seen mm-hmm. um, because it all has to come from her. There isn't, there's great filmmaking, but there aren't. Uh, beyond reality elements uh, being introduced maybe it's outside of the sound sound design probably helps her a little bit but it's just really a fascinating one for me to think back on because at the time in college I wasn't exactly afraid of these things yet I was in that bubble of I just left my parents house I was in the college bubble I hadn't really faced adulthood yet and I think I found this movie interesting and exciting and fascinating to study and not exactly existentially terrifying all of their scary scenes and what i've now come as i keep thinking back to it is like oh my god like i am carol white like i'm becoming this person afraid of the world around me and and wanting to retreat into myself it's the horror of like wanting to hide from the world and not being able to a fascinating movie that just keeps getting more interesting to me the older i get yeah it's a great great movie a movie that i before this podcast, I maybe wouldn't have said necessarily a horror movie in my mind, but talking about the definition that I gave, it definitely fits, you know, the sense that there's something grander that you can't escape, that it's coming Mm -hmm. for you, that you don't know what it is. Obviously at the time it was read very much and very often as an AIDS parable, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, 
and and that feels like that you know this like big like all of a sudden this this disease that's killing people and we don't know why and like how can we stop it especially you know for aids that there was this thing that felt like a death sentence incurable you know so that was um yeah and just applying it to just a general sense of life which is kind of true you know like every moment of our lives we're just like inching closer towards death so it's kind of like very terrifying in that grand and way if it's, if it's not aids in your time there, there is something going on in your time that you're watching this that is an existential threat to society and to to our humanity Definitely. Uh, whether it's a disease whether it's a government whether mm -hmm. it's just ideas and i think what's so cool about safe is it can be read as a direct allegory to a specific thing but it doesn't it's not textually about AIDS. And it's so, yeah, yeah. What, what makes it scary to me is how vague the problem is. She's basically mm -hmm, getting, mm -hmm. she gets his, you know, it's a classic Julianne Moore gets hysterical performance. She's our best actor probably at being hysterical on screen. <laughs> and so uh, she gets hysterical because she just, she doesn't know what's wrong with her. She can't explain it. No one can get, give her an answer. And also she, terrifying. that's the scare. Also terrifying is the the loneliness that she feels because nobody else thinks she has anything wrong yes. with her. You know, the fact of feeling like you yes. feel something wrong and nobody else will admit or, or you know. Um, yes. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's it's a, definitely a, like a masterpiece, in my opinion. Which yeah. To, yeah, yeah. Rachel. Well, and when she's happiest is uh, is arguably when she's... Uh, the, when it's the most scary when it's the most disturbing yeah, at the end yeah well yeah, yeah yeah she feels that's how, like it's it's scary because she thinks she's safe and yeah. we're like i think you've made yourself less safe but you physically are more safe it's very bizarre yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very interesting it's so good all right that comes back to me and i have a couple different options i'm gonna make a gamble um hoping that maybe someone will pick one of mine in the last round um and we'll see um so what i'm gonna do is another movie that we've covered on this podcast to complete complete the theme and is because you know rachel said wait until dark ab said bram stoker's dracula we've covered the original dracula trevor said safe which we've covered um so i'm gonna finish it out with speaking about dracula the movie the black cat from 1934 yeah, which we one. covered one Halloween episode with the great Tim Braden as a guest. And um, this is, I think, one of the lesser known universal horror classic movies, which is something that I discovered recently. So I really wanted to try to find what is my favorite of the older horror movies. And this one has both Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff facing against each other. Um, Boris Karloff plays this kind of like architect scientist who has built a modern mansion on top of a battlefield of world war one like destruction where like a world war one battle happened and bell lugosi is a man from his past who comes to this house to kind of confront him one last time because he's been wronged because i think Karlov took his wife and married her and left Lugosi for death or something. And then he comes back. And of course, cut in the middle of this is a couple of newlyweds from America <laughs> in a very kind of like Rocky Horror Picture Show scenario. Um, and it is a movie that is a lot of fun just because it has these two, you know, ham sandwich pairing of Lugosi and Karlov going at each other in an in incredible fashion. And also suggesting there's a scene that where Karlov captures no sorry when Lugosi captures Karlov and takes up his revenge 
in a, like a flaying exercise that is only suggested at, but that really struck me the first time I saw it of, of how visceral like it could be, even though you aren't actually seeing the violence of it. Um, and on top of that, it's just like, I love those universal horror movies just in terms of like how fun they are as well. Going back to the idea of being of, of fun and horror at the same time. And in this one, you have this whole, you know, I, it really feels like a very much 1934 movie of like looking back at World War One, looking forward at the horror ahead, um, directed by Edgar G. Ulmer, who was an immigrant from Germany, kind of like looking back at, you know, just the, the state of the continent in the 20th century that's coming. And it's a lot of fun with these, you know, two fun performances. Rachel, what do you remember about this movie? Yeah, it was really fun. I had never heard of it and before we uh, covered it. I I had just gone under my radar. So that was a super fun episode. And uh, yeah, great. At- another one that creates really great atmosphere. Definitely incredible mm-hmm. set and great atmosphere. And that's almost mm-hmm. all there is because there's very little plot. And it's a lot of just like, you know, these two sizing up each other. We're going through corridors, just exploring this this creepy house. Um, yeah. It's it's a it's a very very fun movie. Um, I it doesn't look like you guys have seen it, Avi or Trevor. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah definitely. I was when I was making my list. I was regretting how few actual like movies from before the '90s I like had that I'd seen in the horror genre. So I think I've seen this one as a pre-code movie. So I'm like, yeah, like mm-hmm. what what is horror back then? That's fascinating. I really want to check it out. Yeah, yeah, definitely a big recommend there from me. Um, that brings us back to Rachel. What do you have for your last pick, Rachel? So I don't know if I've talked about it much on this podcast, but I absolutely love to swim and I love the open water. I love the ocean <laughs> so much. Uh, I've done uh, 15 open water swims, including in the Great Salt Lake uh, six times. And uh, so I love, I love swimming and I love open water. So my number one has to be Jaws. I absolutely love this movie. I think it is so well done. It builds attention so well. I think uh, it's especially interesting if you think about it from like the group, group thought uh, dynamics uh, with what we just experienced with the pandemic and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and and the way that people react to the warnings and and not wanting to give the warnings and and I think it counts as a horror. There's quite a bit of carnage uh, yeah. in in the movie. The little boy dies. The the um you see the blood from each of the deaths and uh, I I just think that the the music is of course iconic. Uh, it's uh, got great characters. They're so memorable. Uh, and uh, I love it. I think it's one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And in terms of categorization, I would say that at least the first half of Jaws is undoubtedly a horror movie. Maybe the second half, you could say, becomes more of an adventure or a thriller, but um, yeah. Or a all slasher, of those... almost. Yeah, that too. It kind of becomes more slasher. Um, and that like, iconic uh, John Williams score. Uh-huh. I mean, you only hear two notes, and you know, mm-hmm. you know exactly what it is. Yeah. And you make a good point, Rachel, that although it is a movie on paper just about like one antagonist, one horror antagonist, the the existential horror that Conrado likes to bring into the genre comes from the society. It's there is a threat to the society and uh, the people in charge cannot protect us and will, in fact, make us more at risk. That's the like 
thing that makes mm-hmm. it a brilliant because it has a slasher villain and a like existential villain in the mayor and mm-hmm. representing the government. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jaws is incredible in part because it shows how important restraint is in a horror movie. Um, mm. You know, obviously it takes that metaphor literal where the horror is always lurking beneath the surface, literally. Uh, but it's just always more powerful for that reason. And that you never know where exactly and when exactly the shark is going to strike. Uh, it makes it, I think, an iconic monster for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's will always be my favorite because it takes something that is so dear to me and that I love and makes makes it scary. And I exactly. think that's when you have a yeah. good movie. When Definitely. did you watch Jaws, Rachel? Like, what is your relation as a longtime swimmer? Like, like mm-hmm. did you see it as a kid? When and how did that impact your swimming? Was it something you had to deal with? No, I I didn't see it until uh, until my uh, college years. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it didn't. Luckily, I guess it didn't impact my uh, my love of the water. Um, yeah. But uh, but it definitely. I think makes the movie more scary because I love the water so much. I always wonder if it's apocryphal. I feel like being of our generation, you know, I grew up hearing that Jaws stopped people from swimming for years and years and years. And I'm always, I've always wondered if that's just like an urban legend at this point, but mm-hmm. do you guys know anyone for whom that's true? I, you know what? I have heard that as well uh, many times, obviously, but um, I mean, there are people still alive who you we could ask like our parents and people yeah, of that generation yeah, definitely yeah, people who are alive we can start what i we can start making a poll like did, did it actually yeah. happen to you or is this just something you're saying that is a great mystery that needs to be solved actually 100%. what i would guess is that it might be fewer than we think in terms of people that were like i'm now too afraid to go in the water what i would bet is that it caused a lot of parents to not let their kids go in the water because yeah, i think I it's the fear, the fear of like oh god like i'm not even gonna take that chance like there was that horror like the mother is the thing that in that movie she having a kid die and the mother slapping yeah. chief brody is the turning point for that character so i think that part of the movie is the most scary to me of like mm-hmm. it's the fear of others the like i looked away for a minute and someone got eaten by a shark you know so mm-hmm. i wonder if maybe that i could definitely more see also kids or like teenagers at that time you know you saw the movie and then next time you're at the ocean you're like thinking twice before going in you know you're like oh boy like should i do this like yeah, swimming in a like, pool no i don't i have a hard time believing but the ocean for sure yeah it feels like an early yeah. like viral marketing campaign honestly the like way mm-hmm. that when like paranormal activity came out everyone mm-hmm. was like so scary and you know they would show the shot of people in the theater screaming i feel like that's this story about jaws of people mm-hmm. uh being afraid to swim is just yeah. A, a legend <laughs> i have to say that the movie that did scare me the most as a little child was actually a return to oz that movie oh, terrified yeah. me the scene with the uh the the hallway of heads and uh i mean there's just a lot of nightmare fuel in that movie <laughs> if i'm not yeah. mistaken that's directed by walter murch uh, yeah the yeah. editor and sound designer yeah yeah yeah, Fascinating. yeah. Yeah. Um, well, th- this is great because my last pick for horror is that movie where the train is coming at the screen. That was really scary. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, uh, whose turn is it? Now you're out of order in my screen. I think A.B. It's yeah. Yes. Um, so my final film is about a woman in trouble. Um, oh, and <laughs> great. Uh, I felt like I had no choice. Um, so. David Lynch's Inland Empire, which came out in 2006, 
uh, is a movie that I only saw a few weeks ago with Conrado at the Museum mm-hmm. of the Moving Image, but it is without a doubt the scariest movie I have ever seen in my life. Um, and I'm not certain that I'll see a scarier movie for a very long time um, because I'm not sure that a scarier movie exists. Uh, I, like I said before, you know, after this class I took in college, I rarely experienced visceral fear uh, during a movie. I got full body goosebumps multiple times during this. Um, and I think it's hard to ascribe that just to like terror in the way that we feel it in other horror movies. I think there's something primal going on in this movie. You know, David Lynch is a practitioner of transcendental meditation. His movies are often talked about as like kind of operating in their own plane. Um, But I actually think they're always um, internally consistent. And, you know, he gives you all the keys to the puzzle. But then the puzzle is the thing like you realize that you might have the answers, but the question doesn't make sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think what's so scary about it is uh, I see when I watch his movies, I see shades of myself in, you know, the psyche that he's playing out um, for us. And it feels like memory. You know, you watch a movie like that. I remember Conrado and I, we were talking afterwards about how there will be multiple moments in this movie, which is three hours long, where something would happen. I'd hear a phrase. I'd hear a number like uh, 47. And I'd think, wow, that number sounds so familiar. How do I know that number? And it would strike me a minute later. Oh, an hour ago in this movie, some like I was told that number was important. And yeah. I kept remembering that something that happened was in this movie. And I think that what I'm trying to get at is this movie leaves you a different person than the person who saw it and then the person who is seeing it as it's going on. So the reason that kept happening is I realized it's because they weren't really my memories because I wasn't the person who experienced it the first time. And the whole movie just makes you lose your sense of self and you emerge feeling quite different uh, than yeah. came in. Definitely. It's undoubtedly a transportative experience. We we all felt going to that screen and that we went somewhere else yeah. and then returned after three hours, you know, like it was a different yeah, it was very, very transportive, especially on a big screen in a in a Definitely. movie theater. Um, yeah, Conrado, I was talking to my friend Kathleen, who came to the movie with us, and uh-huh. I was saying, you know, um, I've enjoyed the use of certain uh, psychedelic substances before, and Inland Empire is the most a movie has ever felt like, um, not like those drugs, but like the experience of being on those drugs with friends where I'm like, Oh, me, you Conrado and Kathleen who had this experience together. It feels like we shared something very specific. Yeah. That, we like, took a, we took our ayahuasca trip or something together. Exactly. Even though we, we just like, watched went on a movie a together. Yeah. Definitely special in that way for sure. Undoubtedly. And, um, and I mean, there's a part also... of me that's still there. You know, there's a part of me that's still in that movie. That's <laughs> I think what I going back to my kind of core definition of horror is like opening a door inside myself. I think that movie unlocked some stuff in me and those doors remain open. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like deep, good yeah. horror. And in terms of it being a puzzle, I mean, nominally the movie is is very, it has a narrative to it. It's, you know, after the movie, when we encountered other friends that night after, and they asked us, what is the movie about? I told them, well, it's kind of this movie about this haunted script, which is kind of true. It's about this yeah. actress played by Laura Dern who signs up for this movie and they tell her that the script is haunted. like the, every, And then things go from there. But the, the thing is that the movie is not really about what happens, but more about the feelings that she that they are going through it just diving into this horrorific atmosphere. So, you know, it's, 
it's yeah, just... I feel like Lynch in general and this movie in particular is way less impenetrable than you know you might be led to believe. I think it's not plotless, like you're saying, and I think Laura Dern, who you know is in almost every second of this movie, mm-hmm. is. Uh, you know, delivers like as dynamic and expansive a performance as any I've ever seen. And it's always in touch with an emotional reality. Like her feelings in this movie are always tangible and understandable. Mm-hmm. And it's really her circumstances that that leave you with questions. Yeah. But uh, it's really astonishing. That being said, Rachel, this is definitely a 10 in the pretentiousness scale. <laughs> Just letting you know, <laughs> unless you think that uh, our <laughs> conversation is making it seem approachable. Just be warned about it. I've never uh, heard of it, honestly, till yeah. till you mentioned it. Neither so, had I. Interesting. It, it is it definitely was... one of the movies that have left the mo- the biggest. It, it really feels like it was different after we came out of that movie, and it stuck with me. And I felt really in a very disturbed mood for a couple of days afterwards. <laughs> it's like a very disturbing movie for sure. I yeah, I had less of like a dark reaction to it in that way. Like, I think I was overjoyed that a movie was able to do that to me. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I was really, I felt kind of a serenity actually after the movie. I felt like a sort of peace in the endless mystery of it. Um, You know, you spend so much time in most movies, like searching for answers, whether you know it or not. That's kind of what a movie is about in some ways, this experience of like a narrative promise that is unanswered. And I think what Lynch and Inland Empire does so well is that the search for answers becomes the the thing that you're looking for. Like the search is what grounds you. Um, Mm. The search for something to ground you is the thing that grounds you. And I think that yeah, I just feel really like peaceful when I think about this movie. Um, <laughs> That's not my experience at all, but uh, it sounds great. <laughs> yeah, it was also it is a brand new Criterion release. They just uh, mm, put that's out true. the restoration, and the restoration um, is coming on the channel next month. Rachel, maybe it'll be the time. I'm just kidding. I don't think <laughs> I don't think we'll be covering that. Uh, we're talking about it now. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great movie, though. Watch it for um, Laura Dern alone. You know. She's really special in it. Cool. That leads us to Trevor's last pick. Trevor? I really like uh, the way you put that, Abby, that the, the, the truest, most horrific horror movies are the ones that have opened a door that is still open in your head. And like, I'm still processing what it means that I, and my last movie, I think is that for me because I don't quite know what it says about myself that I am fascinated by this movie and others like it that have come after. Um, but I picked the 2016 movie Raw hmm. as my ah. as my pick, which for those that don't know, is a movie about cannibalism. And I know that this movie has stuck with me and is still kicking around in my head and making me wonder why I liked it because I loved the movie Bones and All last year, which is a capital C uh, capital R cannibal romance. And I really loved that it like went hard on each of those things in equal measure and took them both seriously. And so clearly raw, uh, shook something loose in my head because, uh, the the cannibalism thing was something I knew about the movie going in. I, that's all I'd heard is like, it's a cannibal movie. You got to see it. It's crazy. I'm like, okay. Uh, this was still in the, the, the cram phase of me trying to, uh, approach horror and confront scarier stuff. I wouldn't check out usually. And there was something just so alluring about the movie. It's not, as Amy and I have talked about, it's not that the environment, this this person's at a, a veterinarian school, basically a medical school, and is a vegetarian and is dealing with that being around these bodies of meat and then develops this, this other interest, let's say. 
And I think it's it's alluring, not because like it's a beautiful school or the life is portrayed as glamorous or that even the act is portrayed as glamorous, but it's like a need. It's like a generational, like epic, back to our discussion of there's something bigger going on outside of reality. There's some kind of need there that's happening. And it's approached by the movie in cool angles where it's approached as a sexy thing, as a horrible thing, as a bonding between siblings thing. And it really isn't about a whole lot else. There isn't a lot else going on in the movie. There aren't really subplots. There's not a lot of world building. It's just these two sisters and their like visceral experience with this thing. Um, it's it's set up in a way you can read it about a lot of different things. Uh, you know, family trauma and kind of generational trauma is maybe the most direct one that the movie gives you as a reading. But I think it succeeds because it just lets cannibalism be a thing you have to confront. And your response to that, I think is going to tell you some things about yourself. <laughs> to your point, Trevor, it's, uh, you know, the way that movie um, leaves the door open and you, you I think in part the, the way that um, the main character first, first eats human flesh mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. um, not her choice. It's part of a hazing ritual mm -hmm. um, that right. they go through That's at the veterinary right. school. And I think that That's right. it's the moment where she's doing this thing and then discovers that the reaction that she expected to have, which is this like profound, awful disgust is there. But yeah. in that disgust, there's also something else, which is a sort of perverse excitement. And yeah, yeah. The joy there's, there's like, I think it's portrayed by the filmmaking, the actors in a way that like, it is genuinely pleasurable. I think bones and all gets at this too. And it like in watching someone do something horrible, that is so clearly what this character should be doing. Like it's clearly what they need and what they want. That's yeah, cool. and I, That's I think cool. there's always something horrible about a movie that takes something disgusting. I mean, this is where I I would make like a case. I would plant my flag in like the slasher, you know, gory genre. I think there is an important place for um, viscera in a horror movie in a really profound way. I think disgust and t and looking at things that are disgusting uh, and saying, well, part of us and in some ways we have a sort of um, disturbing fascination or mm -hmm. and take some satisfaction in seeing disgusting things. Not all of us, but some of us. Um, and I think movies that confront that and Raw is a great example of someone going through that experience on her own. And it's, you know, a great metaphor for just developing one's sexual identity. And uh, mm -hmm. you can read into that movie in so many ways, like you mm -hmm. say. Um, it's a really great movie. It's from Julia Ducourneau, who uh, yes. won the Pandora a few years later for Titan. Titan, which was all right. also in consideration on my list but for all, i think is the more horror movie of the two it's the one that really yeah gets at what horror is in all those ways mm -hmm. yeah i haven't seen that since around the time it came out so i don't remember it too well but i do remember it being pretty intense in, it's in, very its, intense. in its depiction of, of the cannibalism and the the body body horror as well in that movie in terms it, of some of that stuff it was one that surprised me in how much I was drawn in by the intensity. I, to AB will remember this. I watched it on my own because we were going to see Titan uh, at, a, at a film festival. And then I said to AB and another friend of ours, Alex, like, we have to watch this again. You have to see this before we see Titan. So I watched it twice in like three days or something. Oh, wow. it, was, <laughs> it was very, I just like had to go back for another one. And that's why I think it made the, my number one slot here. Like it, it's that it's not the most bravura of film. It doesn't have the, filmmaking scope of dracula that inspires me it doesn't have some of the like most iconic stuff like black swan with actors i love but it is this movie that like why am i still obsessed with this thing why did i watch this small drama about cannibalism and i can't stop thinking about it and all these years i needed to watch it twice in a row like that's what 
that's the fear that's the horror part that makes it yeah i think exciting staying, to me as a horror movie yeah. staying power is important in yeah. horror i feel like right yeah. um, for the movies that you find scary they won't leave you um yeah which kind of brings us well into my last pick which is the last pick overall um my gamble worked to a certain degree um there was two movies that to me both of them represent something to go back to my definition from the beginning the force of evil the force of horror the force in this case it's also the force of like complete hopelessness and desolation and just not being able to find anything in this world that like can make bring you happiness or or comfort again and there's two movies that i feel do that very well one of them which is not going to be my pick since ab already mentioned david lynch and i was kind of hoping that he would one of them is the movie Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, which is the prequel to Twin Peaks where we see Laura Palmer's life. And I hadn't seen this movie for a long time because I felt like a prequel to Twin Peaks where you were just going to see how Laura Palmer is like going about her days before before she dies, which is the set, the kind of like the inciting incident for the show. But instead, it's this really disturbing, but also in a way kind of emotional portrait of how horrible and desolated her life was on the lead up to her death and and how and it and it really is almost like a, a tragedy because it's almost like this girl she could have been saved you know and i guess twin peaks kind of becomes about that the whole series right but but going back to the source and seeing it presented a view of of, of the world that from her perspective that was so bleak and the other movie that the movie that i do want to talk about even more so feels to me like in some ways a remake of Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, even though it is actually a remake of the movie Halloween. It's Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie, the director's cut version of that movie, which similarly presents Laurie Strode after the first Halloween movie, traumatized by her experience to the degree that the world has turned into a completely desolate, hopeless place. And the movie really embodies that in an overwhelming way like just like everything is so i think a lot of people react badly to the movie because it's so extreme and how bleak everything is but i think it really really works in terms of like being a subjective vision of what this woman is going through not unlike inland empire for example like just like imagine you know we have had a lot of movies recently including the halloween new Halloween remakes about the trauma, right? And about like, and also Midsommar and Hereditary. Everybody wants to make the Babadook makes movies about trauma. I feel like none of them capture the overwhelmingness of how that could be in a, in a subjective way, surreal way, almost like this movie, these two movies do in terms of like the whole world turns into something else. And I think when, when you're experiencing something that makes you feel really depressed or really, really down, the whole world changes around you. And that is something that I hadn't seen quite this strongly in a movie, in a movie before until I saw these two movies, which I actually ended up watching in close succession to each other for coincidentally, because I didn't expect them to be about the same thing. And then they just became these two things that just are incredibly powerful movies. Also, you know, hard to watch, but also hard to watch in a way that feels so real to me, to my experience sometimes when I'm feeling 
that the world is a mess and I don't know what to do about it, that it almost feels comforting. Kind of like maybe you with Inland Empire, AB, that I, I have find no comfort in that. And maybe it's still, other people will find, I'm sure, absolutely no comfort in these movies. But I find something about the, that something is there. Um, so yeah, those are my picks. Uh, has Yeah, AB, you've seen at least Firewalk with me. So you Firewalk probably have some thoughts about that. Oh, I mean, it's an extraordinary movie, obviously. I think I think it's become reclaimed in recent years at the time when it came out, which I'll note is also 1992, maybe a great Yeah, yeah. That's what um, I was. That's what I held off on it. I said, maybe AB will have three 1992 <laughs> movies and I don't want to spoil his <laughs> revelation there. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, I think, honestly, that is revelatory. Uh, but I think at the time it was it was a flop and it was yeah. not, not successful. Twin Peaks obviously had been had been canceled after two seasons. Um, and it just the whole thing, it felt like an incomplete project and incomplete ideas at the time. Since then, it's become a sort of vital part of the Twin Peaks tapestry. And I think many people view it as one of the saddest horror movies ever made. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, the, the fact that like Cheryl Lee she I mean, David Lynch, I think, is famous in some ways for getting incredible performances out of uh usually the actresses who who, mm-hmm. who are the center of his movies yeah about uh, performance out of blonde actresses yes <laughs> he's really good at getting incredible performances out of blonde actresses um and Cheryl Lee in this movie is unbelievable yeah um, it's an incredible performance yeah I it's it's one of those movies that's hard to talk about because it's so heartbreaking um and that I think really speaks to your point ultimately about like great kind of larger than life evil uh if it leaves you speechless you know Mm-hmm. And I think also to the emotionality of it, I think that I, I, these movies really stuck me because I feel so much for the characters at the center of them. It really feels yeah. heartbreaking that she has to go through this. And similarly, I was completely caught off guard that the fact that I was so heartbroken for Laurie Strode in the second Halloween remake by Rob Zombie, you know, I was like completely invested and like, I thought this is so sad what's happening to this girl, you know? Um, so it's the opposite of having fun watching the kills mm-hmm. in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, Trevor and Rachel, you haven't seen either of these movies, I assume. No, I've seen the original Halloween. That's the only one of the franchise I've seen. Mm-hmm. If you guys ever do a Fire Walk with Me episode, that would be or, or a Lynch episode in general. Mm-hmm. We've done, well, we've done um, Eraserhead. Eraserhead, oh, that's right. For sure. Yeah, but it might be time to revisit him at some point uh, mm-hmm. soon. Um, now that we have opened the floodgates to <laughs> doing yes, more than one. Empire just dropped. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Inland Empire episode—that's almost like the Jean-Luc Godard episode, like film socialism for Rachel in my mind. Like it would be a real like torture experiment, almost. Painful. I'm sorry, <laughs> well, this was so fun. Thank yeah, you so amazing. much. Great Absolutely. picks all around. Before we wrap up, actually, I do have one last question. Because usually we do our other segments like the, the remake and the questions. I do have one question for Rachel, which is where would you rank Cram on the pretentiousness scale, Rachel? <laughs> Excellent question. Uh, it's a good question. Um, I probably, it's pretty approachable, but it definitely has uh, some uh, some more like trying to kind of think about academia and, and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'd give it, what, I think, uh, seven. What do you think? Okay, yeah, yeah. It goes into some pretty wacky, surreal directions that I think it's it's kind of part of the fun of like discovering yeah. this library and then definitely leaves you with some questions at the end. It doesn't answer everything. Yeah. You know, so uh before we go, I will say I think it's a shame none of us picked a Hitchcock because I, he had you know, so many good Yeah. Uh, I had like four on my long list. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, Strangers on a train, I think is Strangers on a train. Yes. Really is, scary. Yes. You know, that was actually one of my first ever, sorry to dive into another story, but I, that was like one of my first horror movies ever really was, um, I grew up in Forest Hills, Queens, and the finale of Strangers on a Train takes place um, in Forest Hills, Queens. Oh. It was filmed at the tennis center there. And when the neighborhood had its 75th anniversary um, or 100th anniversary, they put on a free screening of Strangers on a Train at my local multiplex. Oh, nice. And I went with my best friends at the time. We were like, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And then everyone else in the theater was like a senior citizen, a senior citizen. Uh, <laughs> and that was one of the defining theater going experiences of my life. I think it was the first time I really became aware of rep cinema period. Um, mm. Though I That's love Strangers cool. on a Train. Great movie. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks everybody. Um, let's see. Let's, let's start by you guys. Please remind people once again, where, what Cram is and where you, they can watch it. Yes. Yeah, so Cram is a new horror movie. Uh, it is an award-winning horror movie. It won the audience award at the Austin film festival. Um, and it is uh, a labor of love from me and Trevor and Conrado and so many other amazing artists who um, worked during the pandemic to bring this uh, nightmare about academia to life. And you can watch it for free on Tubi. Uh, you can rent or buy it on Amazon and Google Play and YouTube. And in fact, actually, there is a YouTube um, channel called Kings of Horror, which is having a live stream event uh, of the movie on Friday, April 7th. I don't know when this podcast is going to drop, um, but if it's before that, tune in and we'll be on the chat and you can, you know, ask questions during the movie. Um, and otherwise it'll be there afterwards uh, as well. So you can find the movie and then, you know, leave us a review on Letterboxd. Um, the nice thing about making movies uh, at our scale is like, there's no Hollywood establishment. We're just people. And we love engaging with criticism and, and talking to people. Uh, the the biggest um, joy of having cram out these last few weeks has just been seeing all of the authentic and personal experiences people are having with the movie. So I'm very grateful that people can do that. And I hope people who watch it uh, have a good time. And I'm thank you for, for dreaming with us a while. That's what I always say. And Great. it's only 44 minutes. What do you, yes. you can, everybody has 44 minutes. Yeah, Rachel, <laughs> I liked it in your review. I liked your like championing of the featurette. I think yes. yeah. it's a good thing. Yeah. We, we've experienced a lot of people in our lives that are like, oh my gosh, I would watch more movies if they weren't all <laughs> two hours plus. I'm just so tired of it. I think also anyone that liked what we were talking about here, whether or not we're successful is up to you. But I think we made Cram really trying to engage with the genre in all of the ways we're talking about it. You know, we want bigger forces. We want body horror. We want opening doors in our minds and confronting things and journeys and all of that stuff is, is fun. We're really striving for yeah. it. And yeah, and in a fun, fun way. Yeah. So if you want to come see us take that big swing and see how well we did, I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts. Yeah. Also, Conrado's hilarious in the movie. Like, <laughs> he's so <laughs> Yes. Biggest theater laughs, definitely, in all the times yeah. I've watched it. I remember we, we played Conrado. a film festival in Mississippi and every single one of Conrado's lines in the first scene got a theater-wide laugh. Mm -hmm. So... Well, you're very welcome. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's it for today, then. Um, where can people find us, Rachel? I should have had this information in front of me. <laughs> well, you can you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and at Criterion Pod on Twitter. So definitely mm -hmm. check us out there. That's right. Well, how about you personally, Rachel? You can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. Check that out. Also, you can find me at the Hallmarkies Podcast. Got lots of good stuff going on there. That's right. And you can find me on Twitter at Coco Hits NY. I have a letterboxed. Uh, if you, it's my name, Conrado Falco the third. And also you can catch me 
in the movie Cram, which is streaming on Tubi for free and also in various other platforms for rental. All right. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Bye.